This is the story of a real person. This is the story of a person with big dreams. These dreams led them to take risks. But you should know up front, this is not a success story. All right, we're here today on The Food of Despair. Did I make a huge mistake quitting my day job to do this, you know? That means my journey, I can take risks and chase things down. I think my biggest fear in all this is that all the effort to overcome the challenges of this past season would go by and ultimately be meaningless. All right, we're here today on Pit of Despair with Red Sanders of Red Productions. Today we have the special privilege of being at the Backlot Studio, which is a workspace and studio built specifically for creative entrepreneurs. Red, thank you for joining us today on Pit of Despair. We're excited to be here. We're grateful for your space. Um, we're going to get into it. Um, but first, to explain to everyone what we're going to be talking about today, uh, we get the joy of delving into some of Red's highs and specifically his lows of entrepreneurship, what we call a pit of despair. And here on the pit of despair, we want to reclaim the taboo subject of failure. We believe that failure is a part of the process of solving big issues. And so we need to talk about it more. And ultimately, we'd learn to build hope for the future. So Red, thank you so much. We're grateful to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And I love the the topic we're diving into here. It's a well, good shared experience this year, sadly. Yeah, <laughs> is, is yes, sadly um, true. Um, but hopefully from here, uh, we can build some hope for the future and see what happens after. But Red, some people know a little bit about your high-level bio that you went to TCU, that you started Red Production. Um, but to start today, I'd really like to delve more a, a little bit into your growing up, some of the early influences in your life when you were a kid. Yeah, um, so... My name's Red because I have red hair. You can't see that on the podcast, but uh, you know, I, I feel like that was that was always an interesting thing growing up too with red hair. I always felt like a little bit outside the norm of all mm -hmm. the normal hair color kids. And um, but my mom was a an art still is an artist, but she was an art teacher, and she always really challenged me to think about like not what you know, not how that maybe made me different, but like instead how those you know kind of unique things that I did could help me you know, stand out and not be part of whatever just the norm is. And I really attribute a lot of what I'm doing now to my mom and how she kind of raised me with that mindset of, you know, okay, yeah, so everyone else is getting that thing or doing it that way. She's like, you don't have to do that. Like, mm. and, um, and then, you know, just from the, the creative side of what we do, uh, she certainly instilled a lot of that in me with, you know, well, I can't paint to save my life. <laughs> Um, it was still like, you know, really nurturing and encouraging me with like camera work and photography and, and even in business too. I mean, mm. I think all artists have to be real hustlers and figure out like how to, how to sell, you know, um, from one painting to the next one project to the next. So yeah, I, from early ages there, it was definitely my mom and cause I had a, I had a DJ company growing up. Yeah. Um, and I was like 12 years old when I started and I remember a few years into it, I was like, kind of back to this thing of like, oh, other kids are getting jobs now. Mom, like, shouldn't I get a job? Like, she's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I don't know, like so-and-so's working at Target. And she's like, what, you, people pay you money to come play music at their parties. <laughs> you have a job, you have a business, like lean into that. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, I guess that is a pretty sweet gig. What, so. a, what a gift to have a mom that is uh, supporting you in those eccentricities of like who you are whether that's red hair or you know the the, the 
I mean, it takes a lot of drive to be 12 years old and standing up playing music uh, for people. Did you have, do you even remember the first song that you played at a party? Oh, um, what would that have been? Or a safe first song that you, you, you know, like th this was a hit. I remember it was, I think it was Celebration, that song, like, Celebration. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. And it was like, a, it was a thing for all these like teachers, because mom was a teacher. Yeah. And then I remember someone coming up at that and they were like, hey, will you do this this uh, other thing come play music at all the football games and that was like before that was a thing to have music at yeah. football games and i was like yeah They're like, what would you charge i was like i don't know how about this and i was like oh cool now i'm gonna go to getting paid to go to the football games i was gonna go to already so. <laughs> that's amazing um and and what did you grow up in texas yeah i grew up in grapevine so oh nice you know best of both worlds dallas and fort worth and, yeah perfect that's yeah. that's wonderful and did i read correctly that you started your first production at age 14 yeah, so like a couple years into DJing, I was like, this is cool. How can we package this together? I was DJing some weddings, which was hilarious, by the way, because like, you know, 13-year-old Red shows up. <laughs> and, and I had like a, 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 an older guy that was at my church helping kind of like, you know, assist with me. And we would show up to a wedding and they would be talking to him thinking they, that that was the guy that they had booked. And he was like, actually, Red over there is who you need to talk to about, you know, payment or whatever. And they're like, oh. Okay. So, um, but yeah, a few years into that, doing weddings, I, I started um, thinking like, I love video cameras as well. And like figuring out, we'd always grown up making different short films and whatnot. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we packaged together where people could get both their DJ and video all in one. Uh, but this was a very different day in the world of video. And it was like, everything was like super video and didn't look filmic like it does now. So people didn't really appreciate that in their wedding budgets, yeah. I realized I'm like, oh, they'll pay me way more money to come DJ a wedding than, than when you divide out all the hours of shooting and editing a wedding video. And so quickly started kind of figuring out where else might point my creative lens and started doing a lot of stuff locally with my community there and other businesses in town and nonprofits to help tell their story. And so it was, it was pretty neat to, I guess, transition you know, do wedding type stuff, which a lot of, I think, entrepreneurs in the creative space do. Mm -hmm. And you, it's a noble job. You can make a great prof you know, profession out of that. And yet a lot of times I think people in those positions are always thinking about like, oh, I want to get out and do something else that's um, maybe more commercial or, or creative or whatnot. So in, in this early kind of teenage years, early years of your career, do you see any, it seems like, you're an opportunist in one sense of just, hey, how can I package this up? What are other ways to, to find a new product transitioning from teacher parties to football games to weddings? Uh, but what was, do you see any of your early driving motivations? Like what kind of fueled you, got you out of bed in the morning? On one side of it, it was just kind of the, the technology. Uh, I remember at the time, like my parents had gotten divorced uh, right about the time I started my, my business there. And so in some ways it was kind of just escapism from that mm -hmm. and what was going on in life. Um, and, it, and all things were good in that even like my parents still have a great relationship. My mm -hmm. dad was so supportive in all of my kind of upbringing and business as well. Um, but it definitely was a hard thing to go through as yeah. a 12 year old. It's never an easy thing. And so I would just hop on my bike and ride down to Radio Shack because that was a thing mm. then, Radio Shack. <laughs> Um, and they actually sold like things besides, you know, charging cables. Yeah. So, um, and I would look at all this gear for like video and sound and stuff and be like, I don't even know what that does, but 
mm, buy it and figure it out. So <laughs> that's uh, so somewhat of like a tinker in yeah. that sense of just like you're compelled by the challenge of figuring something out. Yeah, that, on the yeah on kind of the technology side of that, and then in business, it was also figuring out like you know how do I market myself? Like uh, I need business cards, I need flyers, I need shirts. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's like really being fun. a twelve year old with business cards was kind of funny. Can you catch us up to, you know, you went to college at TCU and read productions. Can, I, can, you, can you just fast forward us through that time of some, some pivotal moments um, to get us to a little bit more of the upswing of when Red Productions was starting to, to find its stride? Honestly, like a lot of times when I, when I think back on Red Productions, it really goes back to like, honestly, like right when I graduated, I, um, I've been doing this all through college to pay for school and, and learned a lot both in school and then obviously getting to kind of put that into practice right away in my business was really special. But when I graduated, um, you know, it was like, I went right into this. In fact, literally I went and pitched TCU on, I was like, Hey, this graduation thing happens every year. Y'all never film it or offer that as a thing. Can I film my graduation and sell copies of it? And they're like, Oh yeah, that'd be great. So some of my friends that I would, you know, hire different friends in, in college there, they were, they weren't graduating at the same time. So we, I was like, y'all want to film it? I'm going to walk. And then, so it was like, it was kind of funny looking back on it now that it was like, also like getting paid to go to the football games. I got, got paid at my graduation. So it's <laughs> so funny. But, um, but honestly, the, the real exciting moment came, I think like in that first year out of school, um, I did this business plan competition and it, it kind of, we won it. It mm-hmm. was a national business plan competition. And that helped me get like this first office space that we had, which was a, uh, it, it's called Tech Fort Worth. It's mm-hmm. still here. It's off Rosedale and 35. And it's mm-hmm. part of the city's offering to help get small businesses going. And I can't say enough good things about our years there at Tech Fort Worth. It was like, it felt real finally. It wasn't me just like operating out of my college, you know, house. And, um, and when people would come in, they'd be like, oh, this is like a real company. Like you have an office. And we're like, yeah. And they're like, but do you actually make revenue? And I was like, yeah, it's not like a treehouse club here. Like, <laughs> come on. We got to pay. You do pay some rent at Tech yeah. Fort Worth. Um, but the neat thing with, with Tech Fort Worth, too, is like that's honestly what was some the initial kind of inspiration on what we wanted to do with Backlot mm-hmm. started there. Because it was this like collective space mm-hmm. where everyone's together in this kind of startup mode. And, and they were just helping remove barriers to entry for entrepreneurs in Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really special. And, and that, that, that was really, you know, later, if we fast forward again, you know, yeah. to Backlot, like that, that really was the underpinning for Backlot. Yeah. At that time, though, I wasn't really thinking Backlot. I was thinking, like, how do we, you know, I had hired uh, our first kind of like full-time employees and, and real founding members of the team here. And, um, and so it was like, it was nerve wracking, like, okay, I'm committing to pay this person a salary each month. Yeah. How, how are we going to do that? Cause like, it was one thing to kind of live from one gig to the next. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's another thing though, whenever it's like someone's depending on it, a steady income for their paycheck. And, uh, and you know, as the business owner, that means sometimes you don't get a paycheck that month, but yeah. the team does. Um, at the same time, that's where it was so exciting because, it was like, you know, being able to see the work that we could do together as a team and not just like what I could do as this kind of solopreneur that brought in other, other folks whenever we needed. Um, but instead really shifting my mindset 
to focus on like, what can we do together by dividing out and like each person's unique, you know, God given talents and Mm -hmm. like allowing, you know, this person, Sam is still with us to this day. Like he's our head of post an incredible editor. I loved editing at the time. Then I met Sam and I was like, gosh, this guy's a whiz at it. (laughs) And I guess it was like figuring out what I needed to not do in order for the business to be able to grow. Mm. Um, and, and so some of those things, while I liked doing it, it was like, that's not the best use of my time. And, and Sam's way more motivated to do that and do, do a great job at it. So is that, I noticed as I walked through the office, they all have personality tests kind of on each one of your yeah. uh, team's desks is, is identifying strengths kind of a, a hidden passion of yours. Or like, is that something that fires you up? You, you seem to be kind of really into that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I never realized it, I guess, early on. But one of my first mentors in business, David Miner, who started the mm-hmm. entrepreneurship yeah. program at TCU, and is a larger reason why I stayed in Fort Worth even, um, but he talked about in class, I remember he was like, if there was one thing I could do different, I would go back and anytime we hired someone, I would make sure they go through one of these assessment things. Because back then, I mean, even early 2000s, those were still pretty kind of new. Mm-hmm. Um, and they weren't as widely used. So we've always used some version of that since, I guess our first few bit, first few years in business. Now the thing with them that's really cool is like, they're just so much faster in how they can, mm-hmm. you know, get to these points. And it's pretty amazing to see how accurate it is. Yeah. Um, because, you know, it's like, we'll look at the, the dots we call them. Cause it gives you basically like five kind of readouts yeah. on someone as an applicant. Cause when someone's applying for a job, our job and our goal is try and make sure we get them in the right seat so that they totally. can be successful. Because if we hire them into the wrong seat, you know, they're reading a job description on paper and on face value and mm-hmm. thinking, I, th- I think I would love this job. I would be great at it. And we're reading their resume and we're going, I think they would love this job and they'd be great at it. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to feel good about that type of stuff in an interview, or at least me, I'm usually a pretty glass half full kind of guy. Yeah. Um, the dots are great though, because it's like whatever system you might use, it's like if you believe it and follow it, it's great. Yeah. If you don't, Usually if you're like, oh no, but this person, they're not going to be like that. <laughs> Six months later, we're always like, man, we should have believed the dots. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we use a, a similar, uh, personality test. And I think that, that like the heart of it is to get people to thrive, um, in their role. And it, it's, it's not just experience that, uh, plays into that. It's the environment that they're in and whatnot. Um, yeah. so it seems like tech Fort Worth starting red, you're starting to see how strengths come together. Um, can you kind of, when do you feel like red productions had like a breakthrough moment? I know that there is early, early, some early productions that y'all did, but can you look back and say like, Hey, this is when we were really kind of at the, at the top of our game. And maybe you felt very little fear or anxiety around uh, your business at that time. Um, those don't necessarily have to coincide, but they, sometimes they do. Honestly, I, I think it was, it was probably pretty far into it. Yeah. Like, like there were plenty of milestones along the way where it felt great and it felt like things were working. Um, but I, I think at like around the year 10 mark, we did something where I, I was in this group called entrepreneurs organization and they had this guy come and speak who had written this, uh, Harvard business review article called the founder's dilemma. Hmm. And it's a fantastic read. It's free if you just Google Founders Dilemma HBR. And um, 
it's it basically says for any entrepreneur when you're starting out you face a decision which is you know do you want to take the path of being king or do you want to take the path of being cash rich hmm. and and there's you know there's pros and cons to each of those paths <laughs> but by far and above it was it was a you know big study longitudinal study where the people that took the cash route did far better Mm-hmm. led happier lives. Their teams were happier and more successful than the King route. It's also kind of like why we don't have Kings anymore. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it's, uh, it was really interesting because as I read that, I was like, I can look back right now and, and see things I've decisions that I've made along the way in business. And if I keep doing those, that's going to lead me more down the King path. Hmm. And I don't want to be King. Hmm. Like I love now that red productions is just a color Mm. And like, if people meet me in the process, they're like, oh, that's why it's called Red Productions. Instead, they really know us for like the the team of people that we have here and and the great work that this team does. And they think of, you know, it's just a, it's a color. Yeah. (laughs) And were there things from that moment that started to influence decisions that you were seeing kind of fruit come from like right off the bat? Yeah, it, it was, um. So that same year through EO, I learned, I learned about this other program in this book called Traction mm-hmm. that a lot of entrepreneurs use. And it's a, it's basically, they call it EOS, Entrepreneur Operating System. It's not like rocket science in these acronyms <laughs> here. But um, you know what was great about EOS, and we implemented it that year, was it really took everything that like had been going on in the business up here in my head, wasn't on paper. And so many small businesses are like that because you start growing a little bit each year, grow a little bit more, grow more. And before long, you look back and you're like, oh man, this is like, this is a real, real thing. Yeah, like a whole team, we're bringing on new people. But like, you know, that, that core team, maybe you start with, knows the core values of the business and knows what the business stands for. But new people don't. And um, they could learn it over time. But uh, I, I think what EOS is great about, though, is it just really gets that clear on one page at the outset. And so we use EOS now for all of our businesses. For mm-hmm. Backlot has a, has a separate EOS and kind of vision traction organizer. Red Productions has one. Red Entertainment has one. Um, I was involved with starting the film commission here. We, mm-hmm. we did a separate kind of vision for the film commission in Fort Worth. And I think it's, it's you know, I've drank the Kool-Aid, yeah. right? Like totally. I went to their conference. <laughs> um, but... But it honestly is is really fantastic because it, it's so many of the things that small businesses need to do, mm-hmm. but don't. Um, and and that's because I think through EOS really it, it helps you see like each business to be successful needs a visionary and needs an integrator, mm-hmm. and then also needs all these other roles like from an accountability and leadership standpoint. So we didn't have a leadership team. We formed that out of EOS. Mm-hmm. We didn't have written out core values. We wrote them down. We didn't have an accountability chart. We fired everyone in the company. And at Craftwork one day, on a whiteboard, rehired one, everyone <laughs> back into it. Um, it was, yeah, it was like, that was our one of our first That's U.S. So sessions funny. was there at the Camp Bowie conference room. Yeah. And I remember distinctly, like, we're like, okay, the book says mentally you fire everyone. We didn't physically <laughs> or actually fire everyone. And then it's like you you redraw the company from scratch of what it would, if you started this company again right now, if you just hit the reset button, what would you do different? Mm. What are the roles you would need to be successful for the company to be successful? 
and then who's the right person for that role. Hmm. So we were really fortunate in that like we actually still had all the right people. We just didn't have clearly defined roles and responsibilities and, and accountability. So yeah, uh, for for the audience to kind of understand what it looks like for some of that rubber to hit the road. What are some of the things that like, as you applied EOS and your team started to know, Hey, I'm, I'm the right person for the right seat. I have core values that were kind of unified by a clear vision. Then what happened? Like what was the, the results and were productions starting to come down the pike where there's more clarity and kind of feels what, what was happening? So what was happening prior to EOS was that like kind of everyone worked on the business and in the business. Mm -hmm. So in other words, everyone kind of worked on, on both jobs for clients as well as like worked on how do we grow this business through EOS? It really brought to light a huge shortcoming that we had, um, or helped me realize like, I clearly love being in what the book would call this like visionary role. Like that's where I really thrive. Mm -hmm. But to be successful in a business, it's just as important to have a great integrator. Mm -hmm. To take the crazy out there visionary ideas, the vision visionary person throws out and edit those down into the ones that actually make sense to try and integrate into the company. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't have that person. And we uh, were so fortunate that uh, actually through those same, the, the dots, the, mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the kind of personality assessment thing mm -hmm. that we use, uh, there was someone whose dots really stood out in a previous interview hmm. and our consultant for that firm was like, you have to, you have to interview this person. You're probably not going to hire him for this job, mm -hmm. but there's definitely a job that you definitely need this kind of mindset on your team. And he couldn't have been more right. Um, and that, that guy's Steven of Arlanda and he's our operations manager and like, you know, and, in in the EOS model, he's our integrator. So hmm. he really just like, I mean, because honestly, here's what I'm, I talk about this book, right? Yeah. I don't read. I'm ADD. Like, I'll get like a few <laughs> chapters in and I'm like, oh my gosh, we need this. I'm not the guy to implement it. Steven, like, I remember like the first week here, I was like, all right. Or maybe it was before he joined. I was like, here's the book. Here, This would really be like what we need you to do. Like for the first year here is just focus on getting us fully on board with the system. So what is like good business look like in the production industry, like for, for people who are not in it. I think another big thing that came out of this reorientation was just really getting clear with like, what do we do and, and what do we not do in this business? Um, so that we could kind of, I mean, cause like even just in video production, it's like, it's, you know, there's so many different things you can do. I'm actually reminded back right now too. Our kids love this like Netflix series right now called Trash Truck. Uh -huh. And there was an episode this morning we were watching and they wanted to make the trash truck fly. Mm -hmm. And because, uh, you know, everyone knows that's possible. <laughs> um, so they like they go down to their grandfather, who's a pilot, and they're like, we're going to we want to make trash truck fly. And the grandfather, instead of being like, that's silly, that's not possible. He's like, oh, OK, that's an interesting idea. And he starts talking to them about airplanes and he's like, airplanes were built to do one thing and one thing only really well. And that's, that's fly. And I was like, huh? I mean, in many ways too, what we had to do was take a step back in our businesses and figure out like, what do we want each business to do well and, and do that one thing and really mm -hmm. kind of pick those lanes to, to carve out. And so for Red, Red Productions, we said, we're, we're talking about films and different original content stuff we do that is a totally separate business model. Like it's a whole different way you make money. 
in that in that side of the industry. And so we spun that out into Red Entertainment. Mm. And so Red Entertainment is our original content side, or original it's a different company. And um and we run different profit loss for each company mm-hmm. and all that. So um Red Productions, on the other hand, was had really, you know, built its whole kind of business around being a tried and true production company where we work with ambitious brands and agencies who have a vision and get it hmm. and and want to grow their brand. So we do brand films and commercials and um and you know again a different business model on how we make money in that. So and then we had we had a backlot as well. And then backlot like was fortunately also like we wanted it to be distinctly different um than what we were doing at Red Productions and Red Entertainment. And, and be a space too where people like the way we kind of think of backlot too is just like red productions is just another backlot member we just you know we have more desk in our area of it but it's a it is a shared space and so you know for backlot we just wanted it to be a place where like kind of the mural on the wall says like creativity loves company so we can all come together with different companies doing different creative things um and work together in the same space so that's i think was Maybe I've gone off on a tangent from your question, but like it's, it's ultimately was kind of taking a step back and thinking about like, all right, what do we each want to do? Mm-hmm. Or what do we want each company to do? No, that's, that's really, it's pretty, I mean, broad because you have a, uh, what I hear is Red Entertainment focuses more on a creative side, kind of content production, something mm-hmm. that's coming from scratch. And then you have this, a storytelling element, which is Red Productions kind of helping brands tell their story. Is, mm-hmm. is that accurate yeah. roughly and then you have a space kind of curation and uh, cultivation that you're doing through backlot yeah it's fascinating um of those spheres what like gets you most excited like what kind of uh, what do you enjoy the most <laughs> i love starting new things yeah i mean so like each i mean each of those was a new business to mm-hmm. start each film that we undertake is a new business to start each film has its own separate you know entity and investors and all that um, and now as we've also ventured into TV as well, um, you know, while each TV show might not be a separate LLC, it is very much like starting its own business too. And like how you've got to go about cultivating, finding talent, pitching networks and studios on it. And then, you know, if you land the show, well then now you've got to go produce it as well. So it's like, yeah, and that's where red productions also can kind of red entertainment can develop the work, get it sold. And then red productions comes on whenever it's time to go shoot and you know lights camera action so how would you articulate that gift like the that feel to just like keep starting one thing after after another um like not necessarily specifically that thing but how like it seems like part of finding your your integrator and i've heard it explained as a gas and a break you're clearly the gas on (laughs) and uh where do you see the application of your strengths kind of in, in that visionary role? It's a strength now that like growing up, it was kind of looked like a weakness. Hmm. Cause like I grew up in, you know, nineties when like all the, like not all the kids, but like many kids were diagnosed ADD. Mm-hmm. I definitely was one of those and I was definitely ADD. Mm. <laughs> and so I think it's though such a strength though. Mm. Cause like ADD just means like, you have a busy mind and you constantly are thinking of new things. Um, it again comes back to like being able to edit those things down or integrate them in and, and then realizing like, uh, you know, I don't have a, 
integrator. <laughs> so we need that. Like, and so, you know, it allows me to kind of lean into the gas pedal side of it. Yeah. Um, in respect when people say, whoa, 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 we need to pump the brakes. That idea is a little too crazy or that's a good one. Not right now. Or no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> so, yeah. Or yeah, no, there's, you know, that's a great one. Let's, let's go for it. So yeah, it's, it's a uh, similar to how your mom reframed some of your own unique elements. Like you're seeing some of even things that were considered, uh, you know, challenges for a learning environment, like in a upbringing when you have ADD and it's like, no, I'm seeing this as like, I just have a lot of stuff on my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get this out into profitable thoughts. So. Yeah. I, but it definitely comes from my mom because I even see it now still. Where it's like, she'll be sending me like all these different ideas on Instagram, like one thing after another, after another. And I'm like, mom, hold up. What, what is this even about? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I've, I've given my mom uh, the dot test before. And yeah. uh, I know that I am her child. And my <laughs> child so. Um, so as you know, on Pitted Affair, we talk about um, some uh, moments when you were kind of things were unfolding uh, that weren't going in the right direction. Um, you can call this a pit, you can call it a trough, you can call it just a, a low. Um, but I'd love to share a little bit about uh, some of the stuff that you were facing when you launched the back lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think in, in the three act structure, we call it like in films, like the, the dark night of the soul. <laughs> it's like everything was going great. And then the bottom fell out and you know, it seems like there's no way up from here, but you know, I have good news. There is, yeah. <laughs> um, I've seen how the movie ends. So, yeah. um, you know, for us, I, I think, with Backlot, you know, we started this back before co-working was like a word um, in our old studio on Foe Street. And our neighbors moved out. I remember he, he came in, he was a friend, and he was like, hey, I'm going to be moving out. Do you want our space? And I was like, uh, yeah, because we're kind of like sandwiched between two other businesses. We'll figure out something to do with it. <laughs> kind of handshake deal. And I was leaving literally like that next day from my wife and I were getting married uh, abroad. <laughs> so I was like, He's like, I know you're leaving. We'll figure it out when you get back. So we get back and we figure it out. Like we take over their lease and, um, but we didn't have like a need for it at the time. And so I thought like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we just set some different desk up in here and open it up for other creatives? Kind of going back to, again, those tech Fort Worth days and just mm -hmm. be like, how do we make this uh, an accessible or make having an office space more accessible for, for creatives here in town? Mm -hmm. And so we started doing that and, you know, had... We had always said like we wanted to be creative companies, um, and you know we've definitely stretched the the meaning of that over the years. I remember like in that first year, even one of my friends was launching Uber, like when it first came to Fort Worth, and he was like, "Hey, I need an office." I was like, "Uber's kind of a disruptive app." I'm like, yeah, that's creative. And then we show up like one day at the office, and there's like a hundred people lined up at the front door. We're a small office, <laughs> and we're, all these people are like, "Oh, is this Uber?" ends up they were like giving away free iphones if you signed up to be an uber driver that day so so we you know we kind of reined back in the the meaning of creative companies <laughs> um but we really loved that that space and um one thing it lacked though is, is you know co-working became more of a thing and like you know real co-working spaces opened up in in town like what, what you do with do with craft work it was like I was like, oh man, this dedicated thing still seems to be something people want. They don't want to all just sit in a big room together because mm -hmm. that's what that was at Backlot initially. And so when we made the move over here to where we're at now in South Maine, 
it was really fun because we got to design this space. You know, it was an old warehouse built in the 30s, but it was just like a huge open, empty, blank canvas, but with neat kind of historic bones to the building and walls. And, and so we thought like, all right, how do we create a space? And we worked with these fantastic local designers, the same folks you've worked with, too, yeah. 97W. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, we said like, how do we create this space? We set this mood board up with like, you know, what we wanted it to look and feel like and, and ultimately it was like, okay, we want it to be a workspace. Clearly we wanted to expand that, but then we were on the fence of whether or not to do a, a studio in it. Hmm. Um, because for us, and this is where like, I'll get to the actual answer of your question in the pit of despair, you know, like things, things were going well, but on um, the office space side of things, but whenever we need, even in red productions, when we need a studio space, we would rent just a specific, just studio. So it wasn't usually a thing that was tied together at that time. And so we were talking with Craig Kelly, who's the, the development you know partner in the building. And he was really stoked about the idea as well. In fact, we were, we were talking about it before we found this building. So we were kind of thinking about like, how could we find a space that would work for a studio and workspace? And then we found this, you know, where we're at in, in here today. It's like, literally it says wheel balancing on the walls here. <laughs> they used to like drive big trucks in here. Um, so there's this big garage door so you can pull in, you know, trucks or cars or horses, whatever you want to shoot on the <laughs> stage. And, um, and we're like, man, that would be really cool. And so we built it out. Um, yeah, I love the space. I love coming in here each day. I, I miss coming in here and out during COVID yeah. working from home, but, um, you know, it, we built it out and moved in and I don't, I wouldn't say it was like build it and they will come kind of thing. But it was definitely like, okay, now we're in. And that was a huge like mountain to climb of just like doing a, a commercial build out, right? Because you're going from how much space? We went from like 2,000 square, 2,500 square feet to we're in 12,000 square feet now. Wow. So maybe it was 3,000 to 12. Yeah. So it's yeah. like four times bigger, yeah. right? Um, and so from just a, a, a feeling in my stomach of that, I was like, I, I talked to Jenny, my wife, I was like, man, I'm so nervous. Like, I don't know if this is going to work. And she was like, when you moved in on Foch though, like that first office space, what'd you fill in? I was like, I felt like I didn't know if it was going to work <laughs> and it worked out fine. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, that, that feeling of being scared isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think it's always been a, a good thing. Cause I, I know if I'm feeling that kind of tension or anxiety about something within reason, like it's, you know, it means I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying harder. I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best work. Our team's doing our best work. And so, um, so yeah, we, we moved in and, uh, opened the doors to backlot in, uh, what was that spring of 20 <laughs> time is so fuzzy now, 2019, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, being in here for the that whole first year, it was like, it was, it was a dream come true, but then it was also like, oh man, are we going to get enough workspace members? Because um, Backlot is not like this, you know, it is a, while it is a for-profit entity, yeah. we might, we would have been better off setting it up as a non-profit because yeah. <laughs> our goal in Backlot isn't to make a profit. It's yeah. just to provide, like to break even and, and, and be able to provide a space for creatives to do great work. Yeah. So, you know, coming up to the pandemic, um, the workspace side was like totally full mm. with a wait list. Gosh. The studio, mind you, though, 
we were like really struggling, like not even our team reproductions, like most of our stuff we shoot on location. So like we weren't even using the oh, studio wow. that much and, and workspace members were using it and they get like a, a, a big discount yeah. if, if they're using it. Um, but anyone can come in and rent the studio. And so it was hard. It was kind of like, you know, we were having a lot of these great kind of public events in here where it was really fun kind of showing off the space to the community and sharing it for other learning events. But it was hard, like, you know, from the financial standpoint, it was not successful. Yeah. Um, in fact, like we missed the financial marks in, in the first year of being open uh, in, a, in a big way. Yeah. <laughs> so um, this is this is a safe space. I've, I've failed co-working spaces before. <laughs> so even though your co-working space is going well, the studio, I, I, I get that pain of, of seeing beautiful space that you've built and yeah. seeing it empty. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's like. So COVID, pre-COVID, I sat down with, with Craig, our, our, the, both the landlord and partner in the building and in the studio. And, and I was like, man, here's the deal. I had like this whole annual report I put together and I was like, here's all the ways that we failed last year to, to achieve the, the intended business model. Here's the things that are going great on the, on the workspace side. And we had the second story above the workspace side that wasn't built out yet. And so my answer was, well, why don't we uh, double down on the square footage on the workspace side? We'll grow up a floor, you know, so then we can have more workspace for other for people on the wait list. And then, you know, we can use some of the proceeds from that to cover the low months on the studio yeah. when it's not necessarily booking to the to the extent we need it to. And it sounded good on paper. In fact, it looked really great financially. <laughs> but the, I was like, that was a Tuesday in March this year. And I was like, <laughs> Also, there's this COVID thing you've probably seen. Um, so we were like, literally, like we agreed on the you know, terms of what the lease would be. And then I was like, I'm going to wait though a week or two <laughs> on the lease because I think COVID might be a bigger thing than we're thinking. <laughs> um, and by that Friday, we were, you know, shut down. Yeah. And by a month later, I mean, the workspace definitely did not have a wait list. Yeah. <laughs> it was like half, you know, I mean, no one was in it. So, yeah. um, you know, it was, it was pretty quick to... Uh, you, you, you create a business model where it's meant to be a space people can hop in and hop out with not a lease. Yeah. It's just month to month membership, right? And that also means in a pandemic, they can all hop out really quick. <laughs> so, Yeah, the, uh, I, I think a lot of people talked about my background is in real estate. And so when people talk about co-working trends, they're like, oh, this is great. It's recession proof. It's when people you know, go into a recession, they don't want to sign long-term leases. And so they hop to co-working spaces. I'm like, mm -hmm. that all makes sense. Except when the recession is based upon the pandemic <laughs> yeah. you're not going anywhere. You're staying at home. Yeah. And so, yeah. So t tell me about some of, uh, was there a moment that you look back to, to where you're processing some of this, whether it was with someone who's close to you or, um, kind of feeling the weight of, okay, the studio is, you know, has been a real challenge for us. Coloring space has been great, but now the thing that was great for us is now 50% occupied or whatever. It's, it, it's struggling is there a moment you look back to that was kind of like that true low moment or low conversation where maybe anxiety, fear, whatever was kind of hitting you? I mean, I think a lot of it was leading up to that kind of meeting with Craig where I was just like, man, this doesn't feel like it's working. I was talking with our leadership team here. Cause like, you know, we, we can run and manage the studio again. We don't make money off of it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like a labor of love. Um, and it, we weren't seeing it, you know, be successful there. And so, but then when, when COVID hit, things actually shifted a lot. 
And mm. so, you know, we went from, especially from our red productions team, predominantly shooting on location. Well, no one's wanting to shoot in their space now, um, be it their office or business or whatever, because it's closed. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet the studio we were able to make as a, as a safe space mm. for that. Honestly, I think I saw a thing on Craftworks Instagram about y'all doing like, it was like week one of COVID. Y'all had these guys doing this fogging solution to like, um, river refresh to like yeah, uh, yeah. make it, you know, make it safe and sanitized. And yeah. I was like, oh, we got, we need, let's get that fog in here. Yeah. <laughs> bump, bump the haze. <laughs> um, and so we, we actually, we did that. We did some content for them as well, just to help kind of them spread the word. And, um, that was a, you know, worked out really well. And, um, we also started offering live streams from the studio, hmm. which we had never done live streaming before. And now there's like, you know, a setup that we leave in here. Yeah. And so it's, it's, a uh, it became this like safe space for people to come into, hmm. um, where, you know, we've got all the COVID precautions in place, the cleaning in between shoots. And now it's like, you know, it's being used more than, more than ever. So it's, I think that's a really important thing for us to zone into is like when hit with something that was, it would be very easy to jump to a rational thought. Um, and my business partner tells, you know, always like fight anxiety with action. Um, mm-hmm. and so, uh, pandemics coming, you start seeing the news, you start seeing, you know, covering space and you could have just been like, I have an empty studio, mm-hmm. I have a dying workspace and just like <laughs> crawl into a hole. But I yeah. love that. Like you quickly said like, well, what's, what do we have here and what can we offer yeah. in the midst of this? You weren't you're separating kind of from, uh, even though they were truly hazing it in here, mm-hmm. you're clearing out the haze of what was available to you. And I think that's, it, is that something that you already kind of knew was inside you from other experiences, or do you feel like this was kind of a unique moment to where you saw that gift come forth? Yeah. I mean, I saw the gift come forth in our team for sure. Cause it was cool. like literally the same day that faded Friday, the 13th of March. Um, you know, we announced like, okay, guys, everyone take your computers home. We're going to work from home next week. And Scott Nichols, our executive producer came up and he was like, Hey, so, um, I don't know if you know this, we bought this live stream package a few months ago. We haven't even unboxed it yet. I'm thinking maybe we set that up and like in some downtime, test it out and then start marketing that. And I was like, that's brilliant. Go. <laughs> and, um, and that's, that's been a huge thing now. Cause it's like, not just for us, like obviously in, in our business, but, um, you know, being able to help nonprofits and local businesses that had the rug pulled out from underneath them on whatever mm-hmm. that, you know, massive in-person event was that they had planned that they could no longer do. And, and they also didn't specialize in live streaming, um, like us pre COVID, but we at least did video production. <laughs> so we were a lot, of, you know, we were many steps ahead yeah. of <laughs> understanding the mechanics of video production. So it was less of a learning curve for us to get that up and going. So that was really cool on the studio side. On the workspace side, um, for me personally, it was like, all right, look, this is the scariest time ever in business. Hmm. I mean, I remember sitting at home in those first couple weeks and and running all these different kind of financial models as a non-financial guy and being like, okay, there's a lot of ways this could go really bad. <laughs> And how long can we survive? And we've been, you know, fortunate to have built up a good operating reserves, but like how far into that could we really justify digging into before yeah. we have to make some serious changes? And, um, 
And at the same time, I started reading up a lot on like the different incentive things that were just starting to be kind of percolated yeah. <laughs> around and um, in the PPP program that now so many people have heard about, mm-hmm. Paycheck Protection Program. When that got announced, I mean, I remember like that was, it was like the same week where I was sitting there being like, oh my gosh, like something big has to change. And mm-hmm. then they announced that. And I'm like, this is that big thing we need. Mm-hmm. And so then I, I said, well, I don't want to just hold this up for myself. Obviously, <laughs> we're going to apply. Yeah. But like, how can we make sure we spread this news to the other entrepreneurs in the workspace side of things? Mm-hmm. So we started having these kind of like, you know, I don't remember what we called them. Big, you know, video chat with all the workspace members and just kind of a, a brainstorm on like, hey, what are you guys seeing? What are good ways that you're thinking you're going to get your business through this? How can we also capitalize this on a, on a moment to be able to to grow here? Hmm. And so just sharing that knowledge with with our other, you know, with each other as entrepreneurs was really cool. And so you know, when the backlot workspace side of things, like idea is that like you can have these conversations and help each other's businesses grow while you're waiting for you know, craft work at our espresso machine. Yeah. <laughs> um, we couldn't do that when we were all working remotely. So we just like, let's, let's do it in a, in a video chat. And in some of our, you know, members like 12 midnight, they're members. And I think they'd be okay with me sharing this. Like they yeah. did apply with, with one of the loans that we talked about on that, the SBA's yeah. EIDL loan. And they were able to get funding for that. And they've yeah. been able to put that funding into use, uh, reinvesting back into their business, buying some new, you know, gear, um, which is helping them grow their business. So yeah. it's been really cool to see like some of that stuff pay off yeah. through just like these <laughs> certainly pit of despair moments in the beginning of the pandemic. So. Yeah, right. I, I love how, I don't know if, if you see it uh, exactly in the, this like clear linear way, but I just feel like there's a pattern in your life of like, of how you see kind of the resources that you're given in some way, whether that's your own or the strengths of others. And then in every moment, it's like, well, given my environment, how do I apply these, these strengths, these gifts? Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's not, I think you have to have a, a curiosity about people around you um, and kind of always exploring that in order for moments in moments like this to where it becomes second nature. It's like, yeah. well, I built this for this purpose. Some people would be like, and I, and I can't, I can't bring people together anymore and it's over, but you're like, no, but the, the, the missional intent's the same, the form and function just needs to shift. And, and then you, and we all need funding right now. So how do we come together to figure this out? Right. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a real gift. Um, and I'm, I'm very encouraged by it. So thank you for sharing that. Thanks, man. Um, okay. So we, uh, we wrap up our, um, our podcast with a handful of things. Um, one of them is uh, kind of centered around a craftwork core value, which is essentially gratitude. And so looking back on your pit of despair, this, this moment, uh, what are you most grateful for? Oh man. Um, I think I'm most grateful for, I mean, I don't want to sound cliche, but like literally our team, like mm. seeing how everyone has like come together in this crazy wild year that we're having and and you know despite obviously anxiety we're all dealing with from every direction in our life right now people have still uh, at our both team at red productions and and backlot members have all still like wanted to come to work and give it their all Mm. and at the same time also like as i've tried to talk with our team about too it's like be real with each other on these days that like 
you know, your COVID funk, like, and we're all going to go through our COVID <laughs> funk at different times. Um, and just, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful that this is a, this is a terrible experience and year to have had to go through, but I mean, it's especially like from our leadership team down, like to get to go through it with this team, I am very, I'm very thankful for it and very grateful. So it's really special. Okay, the last four questions are something called the human four. It's essentially uh, a way for listeners to know that you're a real human who's talking, not some <laughs> uh, you know uh, local celebrity. And so, uh, to start, what do you eat for breakfast? Oh yeah, um, what do, what do I normally eat for breakfast? Yeah, your, your yeah. typical breakfast. Favorite breakfast certainly is uh, is Robbie at Stair Crazy's uh, sweet rolls. <laughs> One year, I actually went into like, I don't know, whatever online banking thing we use. And I looked up like stare crazy to see how much we had spent that year on sweet rolls. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of sweet rolls. <laughs> they they are so good. they are next level. It's yeah. very good. Um, what is the most likely song for you to sing in the car that you wouldn't be caught dead sharing on a podcast? Oh, yeah. Um, man, love me some Leon Bridges. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, just bel- belting out, doing your your best best for vibrato, <laughs> yeah. trying to tone that in. Um, any any go to dance move that we it, once we come back to congregating and weddings are going again, or maybe one that you pulled out on the, as a DJ, twelve year old DJ. So here's the thing: as a DJ, you don't dance. Like you're always <laughs> behind the the DJ mixer, right? Like so, my dance moves are terrible. <laughs> No go-to dance move. <laughs> the go-to dance move is not dancing. Is, is the DJ. Um, that's awesome. Um, okay, and then lastly, what is your hope from here? We're about to add into, we're in December right now of 2020. What's your hope for 2021? My hope is, you know, we have all come so far through this challenging year, and we still have a long ways to go before, mm. like, you know, my, my real hope is that everyone gets the vaccination when it's available. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that we uh, stay safe until that point and not let our, not let our sights down. Cause I mean, my wife's pregnant right now with our yeah, third child. And totally. so like, we're, we're trying to keep things really safe. And, and, and my greater hope beyond this is that like the division that this has obviously brought up, <laughs> you know, mm. silly things about like whether to wear a mask or mm-hmm. not. But like people feel strongly about that in both ways, and that feeling is valid on both sides. Mm-hmm. So my my real hope is that we can we can all come together in a, in a, as a nation here yeah. and heal after this mm. um, wild time together. So, wow, that's a really good hope. Um, well, uh, again, we are here at Backlot Studio. Uh, this is a co-working and production studio for creatives. Uh, I know. A thing or two about co-working mostly <laughs> about what not to do and uh one thing that is clear is that uh especially once we're past this covid environment but finding ways to gather together to connect your gifts to find your strengths and i think backlot is a great option um, they have the resources they have the studio space and the workspace um, for anyone out there so red thanks for opening that up to us we have unlimited craftwork coffee there you go you that, that alone will, will save you money for some people um well uh red you are a uh, add visionary who seeks to find the strengths in other people to build a better future thank you for sharing some of that vision with us today we're very grateful for you thanks for having me thanks for joining us on put it to spare today we put this podcast together to encourage you the listener 
Ultimately, we don't want you to feel alone in this journey. For more encouragement from Craftwork, sign up for the Weekly Advocate at craftworkgroup.com. See you next time.